DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. For over 20 years, he's been active in the area of Catholic social communications and education, including writing, editing, and teaching on a variety of topics related to church history, the papacy, the saints, and Catholic culture. He is the faculty chair at the Catholic Distance University, a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and the author or co-author of over 50 books, including the Encyclopedia of Catholic History, the Pope Encyclopedia, the Saints Encyclopedia, and best-selling biographies of St. Damien of Molokai and St. Kateri Tekakawitha. He is a senior editor at the National Catholic Register and senior contributor to EWTN News. The Doctors of the Church, the Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Dr. Bunsen, thank you for joining me. Wonderful to be with you again, Chris. We are going to explore the life and work of a father of the church, a doctor of the church, that many people probably have heard of. Most people, most Catholics, most Christians, uh, have heard his name. Uh, It has little to do with the fact that he lived throughout the 4th and into the early 5th century, but more to the point that... When we think of the Vulgate, when we think of the Catholic Bible, the official text of Scripture in Latin, we think of St. Jerome. So in that sense, he is certainly one of the pivotal figures in the life of the Church, in helping the Church to really integrate the love of Scripture, the place of Scripture in the Church Uh, and in the development of Western Christianity. It comes as a surprise sometimes, the demeanor in which he's portrayed. Yes. Am I overstating that? No, I I think for anyone who delves into the life of Jerome, uh, you find with him, and in the same way to some degree uh, as you do with someone like Cyril of Alexandria, Uh, a rather fiery temper. Jerome, to use the traditional term, was somebody with a somewhat acerbic wit. In other words, he had a very, very sharp tongue. Uh, He managed to irritate, uh, to anger, and to disagree with virtually every one of his friends at some point. Talk to us about his early life. What fashioned this fiery personality? Yeah, uh, he was uh, born traditionally around the year 342 in a little town called Stridonius, uh, right at the uh, along the area of the Adriatic, uh, near the larger city of Aquileia. And we know that his father was a Christian; that uh, his father was able to provide for his son uh, a very good education, and so much so that his son who showed really great promise, was sent to Rome uh, to continue and then to sort of finish his studies. Now, the two things that we see with Jerome that we have seen with other doctors of the church, I think immediately, of course, of Augustine on an even grander scale, is that on the one hand, we have someone who is gifted with incredible talents somebody who could have risen very high in secular society 
somebody who also had a love for classical culture, for classical literature, for speaking, uh, for all of the, the great classical pagan traditions uh, that were still very much alive in the early fourth century. But this was also somebody who was tempted by much of the material life that was so readily available at the time, uh, in much the same way that Augustine, who had these monumental gifts, was also attracted uh, to worldliness. And of course, uh, both of them got into trouble. Augustine on a, a much deeper, more profound scale. Uh, and in Jerome's case, we know that his love and his interest in the Christian faith ultimately won out at a, at a fairly early time. And he really devoted himself more and more uh, to overcoming those worldly ideas and to reform his life. And in that sense, uh, he benefited greatly from the Christian tradition in which he grew up. And he received uh, baptism, actually by supposedly by the hand of Pope Liberius himself around 360. And one of the ways that he was able to reform himself, and this is a lesson for us today, is that he went on Sundays, he said, to visit the tombs of the martyrs and the apostles, climbing down into the underground galleries of the dead. Uh, we're talking, of course, about the catacombs and then the, the great burial places. And there he looked upon the relics of the dead. And here, too, he developed a fascination uh, with the inscriptions that were there on the walls, building on what was already uh, a great fluency in Latin and Greek. And these were to have really significant um, long-term ramifications for his work for the church. I would say, wouldn't you, Matthew, that rather than a raging bull type of personality, which can be, he can be easily characterized as, he was probably more of a very sensitive soul that was easily hurt and was very passionate about the things that he loved and cared about. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, that's a, a very good way of putting it. Uh, he was very sensitive. Uh, and he was also uh, possessed of this immense intellect and intellectual curiosity. And one of the ways that we can sort of picture him is somebody who, because he was so smart, because he had so many curiosities and was capable of so many things, that sometimes he, he lacked the patience, uh, but also he was perhaps slightly non-socialized, as very, very smart people can be. But he still had the, the wisdom and the love for Christ and his church to put all of those abilities to the service of the church. But there's also this long-standing desire to see the whole world, uh, but also to dedicate his entire life to God. And how did he go about doing that? Well, he, he went back to Aquileia uh, and became friends with many of the, the monks what were the early monastic communities there. He, he went to Gaul and tried to find there in the city of Treves uh, a way of really 
understanding the faith even more. So in that sense, he, he began reading all of the books that he could find, for example, on St. Hilary. So we're seeing how one saint builds on the work of another. And then he goes back to Stradonius, he goes back to Aquileia, and he begins putting a lot of those things into practice um, and deepening his studies and questing for one of the great objectives of his life, which was the perfection of the Christian life in solitude, because it was there that he would be able to really deepen his knowledge of scripture, of languages, uh, and then under those circumstances too, he made one of his first trips uh, to Palestine, for, to Syria, uh, a place that was going to be of great importance to him in later life. What happened in his time in Rome that would end up having him to flee the city? And it was at the request of the Pope while he was in Rome that he began work on a revising of the text based on the Greek of the Latin New Testament. And what he found, of course, was that the, 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 the version at the time was very poor because of bad copying because there were corrections, there were what are called interpolations. There were all sorts of real difficulties with the, the Latin text. And so he began to clean that up. Uh, Jerome also began working on the Psalter. And so his time in Rome was very productive. But he also developed a great friendship, uh, one rooted in prayer and asceticism with a group of noble Roman women. A number of them uh, were saints, later canonized. I think of Albina, uh, her daughters Marcella and Asella, and then you have others like Melania the Elder. Uh, you've also got uh, Paula and her, her, especially her daughter Eustochia. And this really brought Jerome into sort of the heart of great Roman Christian culture. At the time of Pope Damasus' death in 384, however, uh, the new Pope, Sericius, uh, really did not have the same kind of friendship with Jerome. And while Jerome was recognized uh, throughout the Eternal City for what was his obvious holiness, uh, his genius, and his, his real uh, integrity as a Christian, he did, however, as was often his case, managed to irritate a lot of people. Uh, he was very harsh toward the, the pagans in the city, but he also had little tolerance for Christians who were not leading uh, the kind of life that they should. He was especially difficult on Roman women, uh, deriding and decrying the fact that they painted themselves, uh, as he put it, like idols, and there's, there's a very famous quote in which she talks about how so many Roman women uh, paint their cheeks and their eyelids and their faces become far too white for human beings and they look like pagan idols. And he, he then uh, lamented the fact that they, quote, load their heads up with other people's hair uh, as though he says they, they're enameling their lost youth. On the, mm. upon the wrinkles of old age and stand like maidens in the midst of their grandchildren. 
And then he managed also to irritate many in the Roman clergy, uh, condemning them for their obsession with clothes, uh, laughing, mocking them that uh, they looked more like bridegrooms rather than priests, and that all they worry about is knowing the names and the houses and the activities and the doings of the rich, especially rich ladies. So this did not sit well with many in Roman culture at the time, and uh, he was eventually uh, really forced to leave the city because of the vicious gossip, uh, unfounded as it was, uh, that somehow he was assembling around him this inappropriate coterie of followers uh, in these Roman women. Uh, who, of course, did, themselves did not participate in the sort of scandalous behavior that Jerome was actually condemning. Fascinating. Yeah. Seems like some of those behaviors, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, and, they say that? <laughs> and, and that's, that's uh, one of the, the, the great things about this, that, uh, that the complaints that he, that Jerome was making, uh, we could make about so many people, in some cases ourselves. You know, do we, it's clothing. Uh, are, are we obsessed with looking good? I mean, all of the things that, that Jerome was worried about in the very sophisticated Roman culture of the times, uh, we could ask ourselves uh, with some very searing questions, uh, even today. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, as uh, then as, as now, uh, those who often ask those questions are themselves accused and attacked and misunderstood uh, sometimes in, in the intent uh, of why those questions are being asked. We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. This is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Please consider making a tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. The Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death, and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. 
and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. So he is forced, essentially, to leave Rome. Where does he end up? For somebody who is fascinated and committed as he was to Scripture, where would be the ideal place for him to go? Well, he went on a pilgrimage around 385 uh, to the Holy Land. And then he went to Egypt. And then in the next year, he went to Bethlehem, uh, where monasteries or these simple monastic style communities uh, were rapidly brought into existence. And with the help of Paula, he knew in Rome, uh, you have these communities for men and women but Paul especially was important in creating several communities for women. And she herself became the head of one of these. And we're seeing in Jerome then, in, in this group that followed him, that holiness helps to build holiness. That those who encounter the saints themselves want to be saints. So one of his legacies, beyond even his great contributions in Scripture, was to help nurture uh, the Christian culture in the Holy Land, but in turn, the Christian culture across the, the whole of the, the world. And Jerome himself sort of settled into a large cave uh, near Bethlehem. And there he established a, a school and a, a hospice or a place of sanctuary for pilgrims, uh, which is it's notable because that means that we have... Uh, witness, we have attestation that pilgrims in such large numbers were coming to the Holy Land even then that they needed places to stay, they needed help. And his time in the Holy Land, I think, was so important because at last he found the kind of peace and solitude that he'd been looking for for years. Not to shut himself off from the world, but in fact to devote himself so completely uh, to helping those who came to him. And again, we have a record of this. Uh, we know that there are people coming from Armenia and Persia and India and Ethiopia and, and Syria and Mesopotamia. 
but he was also working on scripture, the, the, the great project of his life. Talk to us, if you would, Matthew, of how he went about determining what needed to be included. Yeah. Well, for Jerome, it, it was all rather practical. I mean, we know that Pope Damasus sort of set him on the task of revising what was then the current Latin New Testament and then of the Psalms. Now what he recognized he needed to do was to translate, not, not simply to fix uh, what was the poor Latin of, of the New Testament and, and also the Psalms, but to translate the books of the Old Testament directly from the Hebrew. And obviously this is crucial for a proper translation of Scripture because Hebrew the original language of, of the Old Testament needed to be translated directly from the, the Hebrew into uh, the Latin in order to have a truly authentic translation that was very faithful to the original. So Jerome himself talks about how difficult it was for him uh, to master the Hebrew. Uh, it, it was not an easy language for him to, to grasp and anyone who's actually tried to study Hebrew can appreciate that. Um, so here he, he's working on translating the Old Testament in, into Latin to create what became uh, the, 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 the Vulgate. Now, the other thing that he had to do is take into account the, also the Greek texts of the Septuagint, or the classical Greek version of the Old Testament. And then, of course, some of the earlier Latin versions. So working with others as collaborators, uh, he, he was able to pull together all of these different threads of Scripture into what became uh, the Vulgate that was recognized by the Council of Trent as a sort of, quote, official Latin text of the church. Now, his work began probably... Uh, with the Book of Kings, and then he began working on different texts uh, at, at, as the years progressed. Uh, for example, there were these obvious troubles when he was translating the Book of, of Tobit, and then part of Daniel, he, he realized that part of it had actually been written in, and composed in Chaldean or Chaldaic, and so he began to learn that language too. Now imagine... Uh, um, what this entails. What it means is that he would have to literally give himself years uh, to master these languages in order to progress in the next stages of his work. So it, it required a fortitude in the, in the, the sense of the virtue uh, that is, is a perfect example for all of us we, we get discouraged if, if we can't sometimes master stereo instructions. Imagine for someone like Jerome, the amount of fortitude, of personal strength, of commitment it took to master languages to the degree that you can actually translate these languages and then bring them into a form that is faithful in the Latin to the original text. It, 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 the immensity of this achievement uh, is still something 
that I think is somewhat mind-boggling. It would have a, an unbelievable legacy. Well, I think it was an, an, an immense gift to the church, and the reliability of it was certainly attested to by the Council of Trent that declared the Vulgate the authentic and authoritative Latin text of the church. And now, Jerome himself made note of the importance of the original text and the versions in other languages. In 1907, uh, Pope Pius X gave to the Benedictines uh, the task of correcting and restoring the, the, the correct text of, of the Vulgate as um, established by Jerome. Uh, because over the centuries, you'd had all sorts of uh, the same problems that Jerome found when he was looking at Latin translations of interpolations and, and uh, incorrect corrections to things. And the, the, the Bible that is generally used by English-speaking Catholics today is, in fact, a translation of the Vulgate that was made at Rem and Douay at the end of the 16th century and then was subsequently revised very famously by Bishop Schalliner in the 18th century. So, in other words, the, the version that we have in the Douay Rheem is that perfect translation from the English from the Latin that, that Jerome gave us. So that itself is a testament to the importance and the legacy of his work uh, on behalf of the church. But then there's also the, the aspect of what we learn from all of this work. Now, Jerome commented on biblical texts, and one of the things that he really strove to instill in people is that we have to have a preference for Scripture, that we have to love Scripture. There's that famous story that he clung to classical texts until he had this, this vision of being condemned. He said, you are a Ciceronian, you're not a Christian. In other words, he was somebody who was still caught up with these classical texts and not caught up as he should be with Christ. But then he also very famously had that statement that ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. So if, if we go back to something that Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI said, I think in 2007 when he was talking about St. Jerome, he said that it seems to me that the former Pope said that to love the word of God in sacred scriptures is, is above all. You know, he, it, he said it is important that every Christian lives in contact and in personal dialogue with the word of God given to us in sacred scripture. And he said that this dialogue with scripture must always have two dimensions. On the one hand, he said it must be a truly personal dialogue because God speaks with every one of us through sacred scripture and has a message for each one of us. However, he said, we have to avoid falling into individualism. We have to bear in mind that the word of God has been given to us precisely in order to build communion and to join the forces in the truth on our journey towards God. And there, I think, is, is one of the, great, the greatest of the lessons from Jerome, to love the word of God. And in that sense, then, he is the guide because he provided us with one of the keys of doing that, to have a faithful translation of 
these original Hebrew texts that would otherwise be locked away from our ability to read them, but to do it faithfully and to appreciate fully the word of God and to apply it to our lives. It also should be said that he not only was a great scholar and studied the word, he, in those later years, lived it as the spiritual director for many who would come to him. Yes, yes, that's absolutely true. Well, we see this Christian community that he helped to build and to nurture in the Holy Land really flourish. And many came to him for spiritual advice, including those um, who came to the Holy Land who fled from Rome and Italy uh, in after 410 and the devastating sack of Rome by the Goths under Alaric. And as, as Jerome himself wrote, that it was, uh, who would have believed that the daughters of that mighty city of Rome, he said, would be one day wandering, um, much like servants and slaves along the shores of Egypt and of Africa, where that Bethlehem, he said, would receive the noble Romans the distinguished ladies raised in wealth and prosperity and now reduced to being beggars. He says, I cannot help them all, but I grieve and I weep with them. And I am taken up, he said, in the duties that charity imposes on me. And for that reason, he set aside his commentary on Ezekiel and almost all of his studies. Why? Because they needed his help. And he said, um, Instead of speaking saintly words, we must act on them. And he understood that it is not enough simply to be a scholar studying scripture. You have to live what you have studied. Beautiful. A final thoughts on this titan of the doctors. Yeah, uh, Jerome is, for anyone studying scripture, uh, our patron saint. Uh, he also gives us this sort of last lesson, and Pope Benedict talked about this. He said that this great biblical exegete, or this great biblical scholar, expressed a very powerful reality, that in the word of God we receive eternity, eternal life. Jerome said, seek to learn on earth those truths that will remain ever valid in heaven. And that is why we study scripture. And that lesson alone is why Jerome is a father and especially a doctor of the church. Thank you so much, Dr. Bunsen. Oh, it's great to be with you, Chris. I look forward to our next episode. You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this program along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen.